It has been a long time since I've had a cold, but I have a cold now. You know, I might as well have had, like, the whiteboard that you see at jobs, like, 808 days without a cold. Well, I gotta wipe it and put a zero, and then put it back up so I know what the board means, but... I have a cold. Thanks, Mom. My mom brought me some rolls, which was very sweet of her. They were great rolls, but she brought me some rolls, and they must have been infected with COVID or something. Not COVID. It's not COVID. It's just all right here. It's just in my nose, like, trying to sleep and not sleep in. Me sleep and. That's what I was trying to say, but I got lazy at the end of that sentence. The one thing happened, and then, oh, yeah, my nose, my nostrils are just completely clogged. I don't know what those hand motions are. But my nose is still runny. That's a that's a cheat. You can't do that as a nose. Be stuffy and runny. Pick one. Oh, it's horrible. Like I'm just like laying like this and then snot just starts going blah. I'm all like raw. Anyways, I'm gonna try and get through this. Hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully my narrative voice can be enhanced by this cold. I wrote out a whole long thing. I was like, okay, so I want to write out the film, the, okay, uh, the history of film by memory. So I didn't look any of this up. I wrote this completely out by memory, and it's a lot. And there's so many more details that I'm not including in this, but this is just like, this event led to this event led to this event in film, and that crafted and opened new ideas and new worlds to all these directors. The first image was created in the late 1800s. A lot of us know that already, which led to photography. That led to the idea of putting 15 cameras right beside each other and photographing something in motion. They specifically wanted to see that with a horse running. I think it was maybe 24 cameras. They placed a bet and they, they put all these cameras out because they wanted to see if all of the horse's legs lifted off the ground at the same time, because the human eye can't see that when when they're running. I mean, as fast as a freaking horse runs, you can't see their legs, everything that's going on there. So they set up the cameras, lined it up, horse ran through, they found the picture. The, the legs all do lift up off the ground. So that's like huzzah for them. But that led to that whole camera setup discovery leads to these little movies being made because the picture is moving. Thomas Edison is, is keeping up to date with the brand new technology that's coming out. All they were is a series of 24 frames played in rapid succession. Someone or something performing an action. I, I think the first video that was ever filmed was a woman gardening her garden. Because what else do you garden? Edison takes this movie's idea and capitalizes on it. So he makes these theaters where people wait in line, they purchase tickets, and they have to walk up to this stand. It's bolted into the ground and stands up and you bend over and look into it like binoculars. And you watch this 24 frame or 12 seconds go whoop, that's the movie. And then you're like, oh, sweet, cool. Never seen anything like that though. Nobody had ever seen pictures move. In some time, sometime before or around those movies being created, I forgot a detail that was a man, there was a man taking a picture of a hearse. And the camera like took like 10 seconds to take the picture. So by the time it took it, the hearse had moved and there was a new car that took its place. 
Well, the front of the picture is the hearse, and the back of the picture is this new car. It looks like one whole hybrid car. And they're like, whoa, that looks weird. But it's just because the camera, like, took the picture that way. So that mistake led to, I mean, it opened the world of movies to us. People are wanting to grow this and make it longer than 24 frames in 12 seconds. What can we do with 48 frames, 72 frames, 96 frames, and whatever comes after that? Silent films is what is beyond that. But they can't just be silent. They got to figure out a way to accompany it with music and a written explanation of what's being said or the story that's being told. There we have the, the birth of silent films. And these are just a feature-length version of what Thomas Edison started showing people. Vaudeville is really no longer a thing by the time film starts appearing. It was pretty much movies being performed on stage. Those people either left and went to movies entirely, like the magician George Melier, or they transformed vaudeville more into the stage theater that we know it today. George Melier went from being a stage magician to kind of being the first filmmaker. He saw immediately how, how powerful a piece of video can have, specifically with that short video of a train on train tracks coming towards the camera on a big screen made people scream and jump out of their seats for their life. It was that shocking to them that this was just a screen. So, Melier experimented and he pieced together his own magic tricks on film to see if it would come across in, uh, what's the word? Translate. He's the guy who sent the, in his movie, he sent the giant bullet into the, the moon's eye. I don't know if you've ever seen that image. Incredibly iconic image in the, in the world of film cinema because of Melier. In that movie, it was just the first of its kind. I mean, nobody had ever made a movie. And maybe that's not true. I'll fact check. But he, had, nobody had ever pulled off magic tricks like he did in this 20-minute short film. But while movies are growing and becoming more popular, studios are establishing themselves as wanting to produce these things that people seem to want. One person in particular wanted that idea to himself. He wanted to monopolize the game right off the bat. That was Thomas Edison. Hollywood, movies, that whole world started in New York. Los Angeles, California, that wasn't even a thing. I mean, it was a thing, but not for Hollywood. The whole industry that really, it was such a baby industry at the time, it uprooted and went to Los Angeles, California to get away from Thomas Edison because he was such a, a mob boss. He would send thugs to other people's studios and, fil and film sets, smash all of their equipment to, to cripple their attempts at making these movies because he's like, I'm, I'm doing this. This is my territory. Well, it can be your territory and yours alone because we're, we're hitching a ride to Los Angeles, California. Not only because of Thomas Edison, but Los Angeles, California at the time had, had year-round sun. Now, not so much, but year-round sun. So they made these studios called black boxes and they were big old studios that were painted all black. There was a massive hole in the top of it purposely so that they could concentrate the sunlight to one half of the studio and it was it's on a big giant wheel and they rotate the studio so that they always have sunlight where they want it to. This means that they can now make movies all day. 
Because as the sun does that whole thing, they do this whole thing. So they just start chain pumping out movies and building cinemas for people to pay to watch their movies. Go tell other people, and then those people go see it, and word of mouth spreads. That went on for a while, several years, until the talkies came out, where they finally learned or came to the conclusion that we need to attach audio and record the actors speaking and attach that to the movie. It, obviously, since the 1930s, we've now, we can, you know, 1927, Al Jolson made his uh, debut, and that was the first talkie that has, you know, it has the first audio ever spoken in a movie. Now their actors can talk, and that's not always a good thing. It's, it was kind of like, you know, um, if you listen to the radio, or even a band, and you listen to the head, you know, the main singer, let's just stick with radio, radio DJ, you hear him talking. You develop a very specific image of what this dude looks like, and then you might see him in person and be like, oh, whoa, that is so far from what I pictured. This was the same thing, but with voices. These handsome, beautiful actors can now speak, but they're speaking like this! And it's like, what? Or they have these accents, and they just, they're like, what are they saying? That obviously didn't stop the industry from growing. So the 1940s, I think it's called the Hayes Code. You have the Hayes Code implemented by pretty much the head of Hollywood. Back then, there was one dude who was calling pretty much all the shots. He implemented the Hayes Code, which just said no nudity, no profanity, nothing. Because people started getting rampant in the in the 20s and 30s with their movies. Literally back then, it was a free-for-all for, -all for uh, profanity, nudity. Hayes Code nixes all that and goes, nope, it's all G. It's all clean, family-friendly, here on out. Instead of a rating system, it was just like none of that stuff. And because this dude is the key holder to movies, bada bing. And since he wasn't charged for uh, probably like over 20 years, they had to obey this rule. That is, towards the end of his reign, a bunch of rebel filmmakers started making their own movies outside the studio system. They don't need his permission. They don't need his distribution. They're, they're getting their films seen locally however they can. It's not theatrically released, but whatever. It, it's the They could still go the equivalent of viral back then. Just not with the internet, but things could still spread. That was weird. More and more of these rebel filmmakers started coming up, and they would go to the extremes to make it rated X, just to drive home a point to piss this dude off. By the 70s, this guy is gone and they've now implemented a rating system. And there's new people in town. Not just one new guy in town. There's many new guys. Hollywood has splintered off into multiple studios. The rating system that they did implement was G, PG, R, and X. It wasn't until Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came along that that was right in between P, G, and R. So they were like PG-13. That was added to the rating system done by the MPAA. Or the MPA now. See how things develop? Hollywood splits into multiple different categories as well as studios. There's massively produced, highly budgeted movies coming out. And then there's low-budget, grungy, self-produced movies like Ten Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. That movie was gigantismic in the independent film world. 
because it showed all these directors who were making their own stuff that with a lot of people, a little bit of money, and an ounce of creativity, you can make something as emotionally triggering as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. With a lot of people and a lot of money and a bunch of hand-drawn special effects, Star Wars showed studios what can be done. Rocky showed studios what you can do with money, people, and not so many effects. So by the 80s, you have high-budget, high-special effects, high-budget, no-special effects, and then independent cinema, which is kind of going, like, a sideways direction from those other two that I mentioned that are going in a parallel direction. Industry. In Industratorially speaking. <laughs> People like Sam Raimi are directing Evil Dead. He was 24 years old when he made that movie. They had like $15,000, which is not a lot of money if you're trying to make a feature-length film about zombies and make it work as well as it does. They had to pull off all of their special effects practically, which then took money for the resources and the so many hours poured into making those costumes and effects. Then there's directors with no budget like Robert Downey Sr., who made nearly a hundred movies in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, while his son Jr. was growing up. That independent film action that's going on started to get on the radar of Hollywood, which allows for directors like David Lynch to go from directing Eraserhead to directing Dune which didn't really work out so well because I think that David Lynch is much better with a moderate budget. My favorite movie of David Lynch's is A Straight Story. It, no special effects whatsoever. I mean, people would find it very boring. I do not. I found it very impactful. There's still a scene towards the end that I will never forget, but it's about a veteran trying to cope with his place, his stage of life. Very beautiful, quiet movie that, you know, the budget would have gone to, like, locations, actors, feeding the actors, making sure they're comfortable with trailers and all that, maybe some travel and stuff, promotion, but, dude, like, I don't think that there's a single special effect shot in that movie. Alien, Terminator, these movies are exploding the box office and challenging Star Wars numbers. Meanwhile, during those movies coming out, you got Martin Scorsese making Mean Streets, Raging Bull, Francis Ford Coppola's making The Godfather, Apocalypse Now. Movies are expanding to outrageous heights, and people still have no clue how much further it's going to go. Jurassic Park comes out, 1993, because the guy who roomed with Rain Wilson, uh, Dwight from The Office. They were roommates in college. This dude used to show Rain Wilson all of his demos where he would make T-Rexes, animated T-Rexes on his computer that could walk and do motion. That guy was hired by Steven Spielberg in Hollywood, and he showed them that technology. And those special effects, which they did some practically, some of uh, very many special effects, digitally, those... Totally lost my train of thought. Ah. Uh, they still hold up today. Not all of them. Not all of them. Especially the, the digital special effects. It's not what I'm talking about. Although, yes, they do. 
the first time you see the T-Rex, dude, it's freaking convincing. The raptors get a little flimsy, the, the gigantic bronchiosaurus or whatever that gets a little stop. But now it's revolutionary all over again because it's 1993 when Jurassic Park comes out. Eight decades prior, people were freaking out about pictures moving. And now they're freaking out about animation moving and stuff. Less than a decade later, you have, we have, Lord of the Rings and Spider-Man coming out. So for us to go from Jurassic Park to Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings, by the time those movies get here in 2002, 1, 2, and 2003, we kind of expect it. I, I mean, when I was eight years old and I went to see Spider-Man, I was expecting to see Spider-Man swinging and all that stuff. But Jurassic Park, nothing, nothing had ever come out like that before. So that kind of brings us to now, where the only things that I can really comment on are how special effects have developed in cinema, because everything else in movies has totally already been done. Meaning with all the de-aging Avatar that's coming out, it's innovative and pretty incredible, but like, we have kind of seen it all at this point. But maybe they thought that when Alien and Terminator were coming out too, maybe they thought, well, we've seen it all now. And then, you know, what happened? I don't know, they just started getting desperate with like, oh, 4D, you gotta, you gotta move with it. Like, chill, little buddy. I ultimately just love the progression of everything from the early 1900s. This mistake inspired this person to do that, which inspired this group of people to do this, which, you know, it just went on and on. It was just dominoes. And I love that I have retained a lot of it. Because like I said, I took a film history class and I found it so engaging, not necessarily all the homework. That was the most fascinating part for me. Film has just always been at the mercy of where the surrounding technology is. So now if we're getting to like freaking AI status with technology, of course that's going to... Film is only a couple years behind is what I'm saying. I will be curious to look back on this episode in three years and be like, oh, things have already changed. And period. I think that's my episode. I was happy to write that and not have to look anything up. <laughs> but yeah, peace everybody. Thanks for being here.